We're here to win the market, not the channel. This is the Safari. The Safari is a tour around the consumer, brand, and retailing industry. And we have the great privilege here at my company, Traub, to really be exposed to many of the great minds of the industry who are forming and shaping the future of many different parts of the consumer, brand, and retail world. And I felt it was quite interesting for us to be able to not only learn from all of those people as we do every day, but uh, memorialize it into a podcast which could then be shared with many of our friends and clients and, and you, obviously, the listener. It's October 2021 and we are back from New York City for another episode of The Safari. And today we are going to explore how technology meets retail and how one can actually completely supercharge, add huge topspin to retail environments. Uh, in real life is what Justin Abrams likes to re refer to it as, IRL, taking brands and having them come to life, yes, at retail, but also in other ways making sure that one can track and identify lookalike customers that can be around using very sophisticated technology to get that done. And he used his 10-year experience at Red Bull, really bringing that company to life uh, in their marketing teams, um, getting consumers in real life and bringing them into the fold. And as you all know, Red Bull became one of the great marketers and media platforms, media meets consumer platforms in the world. So uh, Justin is really just incredibly enlightened on all these subjects. And I highly recommend you learn more about Flagship, his company, and stick around. Justin, thank you for joining me on the Safari. Pleasure to be here. So as I said in the introduction, I am obsessed with the business you are building. And what I find most interesting about, about Flagship is frankly the provenance, the fact that you spent 10 years at Red Bull and that you, as you, I think the words that you use is you sort of were finding consumers in real life to bring them into the Red Bull family. And basically Red Bull became this sort of hybrid consumer products media platform as a result of that. And then you said, look, I'm going to take that knowledge or, or way of doing things and apply it maybe to other brands. So for the listener, please give us uh, the sort of the two minute background on what is Flagship. And then I'd love to learn a bit about sort of how you started it and obviously your experiences uh, going back to, uh, to Red Bull. Thanks, Morty. I mean, simply put, we're building Flagship to be the IRL in real life platform for the world's leading brands. Uh, so we think of physical retail as customer acquisition. You can go to Google and Facebook to acquire customers online uh, and use Shopify to get there. Uh, and we are the way that brands are now coming to acquire customers in the physical world. Uh, and we're building it to be that. So a Shopify-like uh, solution for actually launching stores uh, and then data and analytics to make sure that you can measure performance and optimize performance. So those are the really the the the, the mission uh, and what we're building toward. And it's broken down into three products. So locate, find where, when, and for how long you should be at a location. Launch flexible terms uh, with streamlined operations, 
and then Lyft, which is hyperlocal marketing. It's really the digital touch point for your physical store uh, so that you're not just depending on foot traffic. You're actually adding new customers to the mix through digital marketing. So the way I describe that, if I can try and you can tell me if I get it right or wrong, is that you're providing brands who don't have uh, a retail in a certain location the flexibility of launching, that's the second product, a, a business after they've located where they should go, they can launch flexibly. When you say flexibly, that means they can actually take a space for six months at low risk in a great environment, which is optimized by you technologically to drive the traffic. And if it works, then maybe the landlord will allow them to keep it. And once they do, the third product kicks in and then you optimize that location in a longer term lease. Yeah, you nailed it. The only piece um, is that's a little bit different is that we we always secure the long-term option for our, our brand. So think of it as a try-before-you-buy yeah. leasing model. Yeah, that's great. I go to the landlords and I say, how do you expect them to sell a $5,000 jacket without a return policy? They, they just won't sell them. But if you do, how many people are actually going to return? Maybe 5% or I think it's 10% in the brick-and-border environment versus 30% online. So customer acquisition in the in, in, in real life. So you, we can't have this conversation fully without the background that you, you had, uh, the experiences that you had at Red Bull. So would you mind spending a bit of time on, on, on how, you, how you came to learn what you now know uh, at that wonderful company? Yeah, well, I've always had an affinity and was paying attention to physical retail because growing up in New York City, uh, retail is truly what made up the vibrancy of the city uh, in New York. You know, there were stores that I used to hang out at that my mom had to go and show up to, to pull me out of there. Yeah. The skate shop on the Upper West Side, yeah. uh, as an example. And I was always paying attention. I had some uh, family in real estate. So I was always, you know, having my eye on that, on that as, as a business and category that was fascinating to me. But what really struck me was just, you know, I spent about a decade at Red Bull everything, our secret sauce was acquiring customers in the physical world. I think we did that better than anyone. And we had the digital media to support all of that. And we built products like Red Bull TV and uh, a whole media house, which more you're familiar with. Um, but it started with events. I was acquired by Red Bull at an event. You know, I'll, mm. I'll never forget that event. I got to try the product and what it stood for in the context of the brand. And you just don't really get to do that uh, when you're being served a pixel online. Uh, when you're trying to keep up with your friend's newsfeed and you get an ad. So it's a very different experience. And then the second part of that was, why would you create an experience if you couldn't actually have the product within arm's reach? And that's when physical distribution was incredibly important. So it was it was a mix of, you know, a branded environment um, that would really drive a connection and lifetime value uh, with the customer with having the product within arm's reach. Uh, and when you nailed those two things, it was magic. I would never sponsor a sports team like the Brooklyn Nets without selling Red Bull there. It just wouldn't make sense. They're actually two different deals that you do. You do the team deal and you do the arena deal. And it just makes zero sense. Obviously, get some TV impressions. But if you're if you're getting people excited about the brand, you better have the product there. Uh, and that's what physical retail is. Yeah, so it's a big billboard, right? It's a billboard that sells. Yeah. It's a billboard where you have the product within arm's reach. Yeah. And I think what's so wonderful about about the the background there is that the ability to 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 use technology uh, in a hybrid way with the physical world to be be able to identify, capture, uh, convince uh, a consumer to come in to a brick and mortar store, and then you've created this omni-channel, uh, long-term, potentially new customer, uh, which therefore is is hugely powerful, and you know. Is there a mindset shift, right? Because brands 
like to say, you know, we're omni-channel, we're multi-channel, and they use all these buzzwords around, we're going to find the customer where he or she is. But this is almost, you know, taking that idea to a completely new depth because really omni-channel, you know, without, without all the different pieces talking to each other with this web of technology on top of it is really just an industry buzzword. So, I mean, how do you think of what you deliver to being different or more in-depth than the traditional omni-channel type, um, type offerings? I mean, the simple way to put it is, you know, we love to sit at the other side of the table with brands and say, you know, we're here to win the market, not the channel. And that's, that's just the mindset shift. And, you know, I think a lot of really smart people, the Doug Steven says this, and I think it's so true. Um, a lot of smart people are making not the smartest decisions because they're looking at the wrong thing. They're trying to optimize for the wrong thing. In some cases, optimizing you know, solely for four wall or opening or closing a store solely for four wall isn't what's going to best serve the market. Uh, and so you know, that's a, a key principle within, within flagship. Um, you know, we want our stores to be as productive as possible, but productive means a lot of things. Yeah. And so productive um, means a lot of things. Exactly. How do you measure productivity? For example, we spoke about this the other day. You know, sales per square foot has been the um, the big, uh, for maybe centuries, uh, view of how a space produces. Today, you have satellites in the cloud that can uh, capture that consumer once they've driven by at midnight after dinner, right? So that billboard is, comes to life in, in a different way. And, and therefore, but you have a real estate arm of a, of a retail company that is responsible for paying for that physical space. You have a marketing department who sees that as the retail team's you know, duty. But in, 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 in our world, potentially, the one we're living in and talking about today, if we're dragging people into that world, into that universe, marketing and, and real estate kind of need to understand that the lease the space, the capex, actually in serve, are serving the same master, the consumer, and therefore they should share the expense and the way they look at profitability of four walls. Presumably, you're able to help with that big time. hundred uh, percent. Yeah, you need to you need to demonstrate what market success looks like. So to answer the first part of your question, there are a bunch of metrics that really fall into three different buckets, in our opinion. One is the business metrics, right? What are sales? What is UPT? What are all these metrics that are on the EOD recap uh, of any store that they're sending? Still via email, most of them. The second is engagement metrics. How many people are coming in and engaging with the product, actually walking into the store and taking some type of action? The digital proxy for that would be a like or a comment. But what does that mean in the context of the store? Really important metrics. People pay for clicks, cost per click. You know, you should, you're paying for people to walk in and engage with your brand, but no, nobody's measuring that or caring about that really um, when they look at the EOD recaps. And then the last piece is audience metrics. It's, that goes back to it being a billboard. If 10,000 people walk past your store in a month, what is the media value on that? What would Outfront Media sell a billboard for that 10,000 people walked past? So it's business metrics engagement metrics, audience metrics. And I think everything rolls up really into those three things. And that's how you look at the productivity of a store. The issue is that success means different things for different departments and information is incredibly siloed. If you, and I don't, you know, I hope it takes us the right way, but if you sent a 
digital media report from some digital ad agency that has terms like ROAS and CPC and CTR and all of that, and you sent it to the you know retail manager of a store, I don't know if they'd know anything what, what to do with it. Yeah. But the retail you know manager of a store has all these incredible insights and you know UPT and you know whatever they have their own vernacular. And a marketing person would have no idea what the hell they're talking about. You know, they just wouldn't understand it because they're not in the store all the time. They don't know what's necessarily driving conversion and engagement in store. And uh, it's just because information is operating in silos. Everybody has different incentives. And so I think if you can just, and this is what we're, you know, what flagship is all about is putting those business metrics, the engagement metrics, the, you know, the audience metrics in one place and having everybody drive toward that for the sake of the market, for the sake of the brand, not for the sake of a four wall box. Yeah. It's interesting. I love, I love that you're, you're sort of taking, you know, digital metrics, applying them to the physical and vice versa, right? Because it's one metric. I remember learning a term maybe 20 years ago from some people I adore named Michael um, and Tony Jacobian, who had this idea that a box, a retail box, should be measured by ROV, not by sales per square foot, ROV, return on visit, right? The great equalizer. Like the and, value. And there we go. And so, and, and ultimately, you know, if it's raining, you can't say that it had a bad day because it was raining. If you had three visitors versus 20 visitors that day, did you return enough per visitor by upselling, cross-selling and, and doing your job. And, um, and I think that um, being able to look at with technology, which is such a blessing, everyone says, you know, oh, woe is me, e-commerce is, you know, eating retail. No, it's actually making it easier to sell more products to consumers, right? And so if, it, if we look at it as one pipe, then ultimately um, it's actually reinventing and completely re-energizing the whole channel, right? And I find that to be, Really, really fun. And I think you're in an incredible position to be able to lead in that regard and, and tell that story. So I'd love to hear some examples. I, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about specific brands. I hope you can. But, um, and, you know, why they had the foresight to work with you. What, you know, the, just the cadence of how it went and, and what, what were the results? Well, I just wanted to add one more point to the to the last topic that we're we're about to announce that we're uh, starting to work very closely with an individual who's held a number of different roles from DTC to luxury, high fashion under the LVMH portfolio, you know, as their head of stores and and one of the most successful wholesale. But they were at Apple, and at Apple, um, they could afford to, but they also had the foresight to do this. Their key metric of success was NPS. And I've just never heard of that before. And it makes so much sense because what's going to drive more lifetime value than net promoter score? Yep. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there. That should go under the engagement metrics uh, of, of, of how we look at stores. And I just thought that it was a really profound but just so obvious concept and why this store is there. Um, so a couple uh, examples of why brands are working with us. Um, I think we, we talk about it. This is more of like just an insight, I think, you know, that I've learned in, in building a company is that your vision is always going to be ahead of your product, but try to get your actions and what you're doing every day, you know, to meet your product there. But if it's not, if your vision's not ahead of your product, you're going to get, somebody's going to come and come and come and get you. So our, you know, our product right now is to meet our customers where they are and create a better way to acquire customers in the physical world. That means uh, the same way you would filter an online audience, you're not just going to go and hand Mark Zuckerberg your credit card on Business Manager. You're going to target and hit 18 to 34, this household, this household income, these lookalike interests. Like, you're going to be very targeted. Well, I think that, a lot of people do feel that they hand Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> their, their credit card. Though. 
I think he, he's he's getting a lot of heat right now. So we're not gonna. We're, I guess we're not gonna add to that now. But he's always getting a lot of heat. Um, yeah. Uh, well, these brands are actually, you know, there are stats that say that these consumer brands are giving sixty five percent of their of their VC money to uh, to to pretty much Facebook. Um, you're not gonna. You're not gonna. If any any smart person and most of these brands out there are are being very targeted with their ads and they're A/B testing and refining and refining and refining. When they have new creative or new products or new things to say, they're targeting and refining and refining and refining. Uh, why why on earth would you just? We joke a lot. Like just say, okay, I'm gonna come to the U.S. and we're gonna go to Soho. Yeah. Morty, can you do your accent? So-o, we call it so-o, yeah. We call it so-o. I tell people that, that so-o is not a U.S. strategy. But, uh. Soho is not a U.S. strategy. Um, and so why don't we just use all of the incredible data that brands have already? Like, what does the customer look like in your most successful zip code, whether it's e-commerce or where you have a store? And let's look at more zip codes like that. Okay, that's how you can just use a brand's data to automatically find your real-life look-like audiences for all the digital advertisers out there like yes you can find your lookalike audience in the in the physical world and then you can look at the live mobile foot traffic trends and and there's there's just so much to make an incredibly informed decision uh so much low-hanging fruit and and that's you know that's just scratching the surface a lot of the times we talk to brands and if they've done any type of data driven analysis like some are savvy and they can do it in-house but maybe they paid mckinsey two years ago for a report and then nothing happened there. I mean, we were talking to a brand, you and I, in the conference room the other day. And it's like, have you looked at these markets? Yeah, over the last two years, we've looked here. But where does this mean? You know, there's no connective tissue. And that's why we have our launch product, which is just locate and then launch. Like, make that happen immediately. If you're not doing that, you're going too slow. Yeah. You know, you can't just rely on a McKinsey report from two years ago. Um, so flagship uh, launch is, is just a better way for brands to acquire customers. Don't commit to a 10-year strategy, you know, because you think you need to lock up that lease. You know, test out the location. If you're successful after testing, it's going to be better for you and the landlord, believe me. Um, And then, you know, rather than have to ramp up a retail team or ramp down and, um, you know, you can basically, you know, upload your design in 10 packages and the store gets launched for you. So that's, that's why brands. We'll be right back. I want to take a second to explain to you why Traub is able to bring you the safari. We pride ourselves in being at the very center of a very global, very complicated consumer and retail landscape. And in our travels, as we help think, manage and expand businesses in many different channels and geographies, we're able to meet and learn from some of the great minds in this industry. And it's really wonderful to be able to bring them to you. And in doing so, I hope that you, the listener, will be able to learn a little bit more about what we do at Traub as well. Back to the safari. So the brands that you typically work with um, for the time being, I believe, are mostly luxury brands. And I assume that's because they're the group of brands that actually spend the most time mining data on their customers now. They have the biggest budgets for that, presumably the biggest firms in the world, biggest luxury brands in the world are quite good at that. But it it seems to me that, you know, brands that are not luxury brands, uh, that are, let's say, middle market brands who are multi-billion dollar companies could also work with you. Is there a reason you started at luxury? Do you think it'll remain at luxury or do you think it'll be um, 
be able to be broader over time? <laughs> well, I think go to, go, when building a company, go-to-market strategy is just as important as your long-term vision. You got to nail phase one. Uh, and there are a number of reasons why we started in luxury, but um, it's really hard to sell very expensive things on the internet. Uh, and I think it always will be. You want to touch and feel. Actually, when somebody's going to go buy a, you know, uh, even a $1,500 jacket, on average, they're looking at it online. Maybe they've already, you know, seen it at wholesale or seen it in store, but their web visits alone are seven times. <laughs> so, you know, you, you really need to be familiar with that product and, and, uh, luxury is all about that environment. I don't think any amazing big luxury brand was born only online um, at all. Even something as simple as a suitcase like Ramoa, <laughs> yep. they have to have a physical store. So, uh, you know, in the pandemic, the, the brands that needed uh, to make physical retail work were luxury. Uh, and then there were markets that were just thriving uh, during COVID, like Greenwich, Connecticut, uh, Vail, uh, the Hamptons. Yeah. Um, uh, Oak Brook, Illinois, instead of Chicago, Short Hills Mall, instead of doing something in downtown Manhattan. Uh, and so, you know, luxury and certain geos were really, really clicking. And that, that was again, like, you know, uh, a clear, strong use case for just being fast and meeting your customers where they are and doing that as fast as possible. Locate, launch, locate, launch. Is that also because the return on occupancy cost was greater potentially in those environments if you found a dense oh, yeah. group of those customers with a lower rent? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, the ROI and <laughs> your your occupancy cost uh, in the Hamptons if you're a luxury brand was far more efficient than if you had something at Hudson Yards or if you had something at you know, on Madison Avenue. Yeah. And, and so the brands um, that, you know, I think have tried this on their own uh, over the last 10 years famously are the um, the digital native set, right? So they have, they swore off retail at the beginning and they said, oh, we're digital native and we'll, and I guess they, they, they thought they would keep that beachhead forever. And then fast forward, they all now see rent, as a customer acquisition cost, if there's a, the amount of times I've actually made that statement on this podcast, you know, that all the geniuses in Silicon Valley now suddenly saw rent as the new CAC. And yeah. I say, look, it's been CAC for 5,000 years. Exactly. Um, do you, do you work with some of that kind of brand now or, or is it, I mean, or, or do they think they've kind of got it because they're so digital native? No, 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 <laughs> no. I, I, you know, it's, it's not like, do you have it or do you not? It just, it just, we wanted to create a better way to scale. Um, no matter how big you get, Salesforce is going to be a damn good tool to make sure that your, you know, your sales team is rocking and rolling. And actually, the more salespeople you have, the more you're investing in sales, the more you're going to get out of Salesforce. And that's really how we built Flagship. It's not a store in a box for a team, you know, for a company that doesn't have retail. We actually, you know, if you're going to do retail, it's going to be one of the most important parts of your business, right? And it should be, and you should treat it that way. You shouldn't just outsource. Imagine if you're, you know, a DDC brand and you just completely outsourced all of your e-commerce. Yeah. How great would you get at that? You know, you need to have the DNA. In oh, there. many many brands have done that over the years, and they're actually still doing that. <laughs> Outsourcing e-commerce, like you know, giving away all the margin that would have been theirs. Yeah, I mean, I the best brands in the world, you know, they you take your core competencies uh, and you, you know, own that in-house and you use amazing tools like Salesforce to, to do. I would never have an outsourced sales team at Flagship, but I would use tools that are going to help us like Gong and Salesforce and these things that are going to enable that. And so that's really how we've built 
uh, flagship is that, you know, if you're ready to invest just a couple people, one or two people and take retail seriously um, or be an incredibly involved founder in, in retail and you're ready to ready to make it a, a real part of your business, then flagship is going to help you take that light years ahead and do it smarter and faster and better and more agile and with data. So you have your 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 uh, work cut out for you. There's a huge amount of brands uh, in this world who will probably benefit from this. And as the world wakes up and people are looking for being in physical environments, uh, I'm sure retail is going to is going to race back. Um, are you going to, for the time being, keep your head down, focus on uh, the luxury space in North America? Uh, are you doing it outside of America? What what's sort of the next few years uh, of your roadmap look like? The, the things you're trying to check off. Um, as you as you move forward, yeah. So right now we're in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, we're actually uh, launching a store in Toronto in two weeks from now. Uh, we're very exciting on Mink Mile. Um, we're very focused on on luxury in that and that premium category at the moment. Um, we're working with you know a number of DTCs. We're we're actually launching a this these uh, sunglasses that I have here. Uh, they're called OPR Eyewear at at. Um, at Manhattan West, think of them as like a the Warby Parker of Italy, mm-hmm, and made mm-hmm. incredible stuff. Um, more do you have to be at the store opening? It's going to be great. Um, and and we're now working with a company that's like the Tesla for e-bikes, and they've just raised a bunch of money, and they're looking to use physical retail as a customer acquisition tool, the way that Tesla did. You know how how else are you going to penetrate the market? You're just going to have to dump again, hand, hand Mark Zuckerberg your credit card, um, and you know hope that it works and hope that you can cut through. So you know people want to get out and and ride. The, we're looking at you know at streets that don't have like cobblestone everywhere, so that people that have a nice smooth ride. So um, that's an interesting category. F and B down the line is going to be you know incredibly exciting. Fast fitness is going to be exciting, but CPG you know also. I, I, we were talking about this again the other, the other day. IRL, any brand that is acquiring customers on, on Facebook, eventually, I want to I be able to serve them through IRL on flagship. Yeah, we talked about doing, um, in fact, we won't say the name, but you know, a Sprinkles brand, bringing it to life, <laughs> bringing it to life in real life, uh, a CPG, yeah. Uh, right next to our office, Afterpay uh, used IRL. Yeah. Uh, the uh, CBD drink recess. Yeah. Is, their best market is New York right yeah. now. They, they, were on the, they were on IRL. the podcast. They were here. Oh, Ben, yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah they, they did recess IRL. He called it recess IRL. He's like, we're going to bring back recess IRL. And I was like, did you did you just say that? <laughs> it's But it's brilliant. And, um, and that was an amazing experience. I'll certainly never forget. Um, I think that anybody that went in there is going to opt for them versus any other random CBD sparkling infused you know water that they find uh in a, in a grocery store and so you're seeing it oculus the, the virtual reality the virtual reality company is using irl right next to i believe the kit store in 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 uh and so so it's irl i think is for just about every brand um we're focused right now on on the brands that are using it luxury uh and and we're expanding so i'm tremendously excited um Red Bull was doing that. I love how IRL has become the sexy term for retail. <laughs> it's funny for anybody who's watched that, that movie Mean Girls, like everybody on my team is like, stop trying to make IRL work, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So talk to me about what are some of the, um, some of the things that you're excited about? Not, not necessarily about your company, but of course, please go ahead with that. But 
But in the industry, you, you're a guy who knows a lot of brands. You, you met a lot of founders. You've come from one of the coolest companies consumer has ever seen. And therefore, with that history and with that experience, what are the companies that you think are kind of interesting doing things differently that are indeed maybe transcending consumer products and, and doing what you guys did at, at, um, at Red Bull, uh, but today? It's a, it's a, it's a great, it's a great question. I, so one of the legacy retailers, Nordstrom local, like I give them a lot of credit. They completely did a rethink on their massive department stores to something that's uh, small format. And then I, this is my favorite thing about what they did. I walked into the one on Melrose in LA and they, you could do your dry cleaning there people are showing up once a week. It's, it's like a community hang. It's, it's where you do your dry cleaning. If you had laundry m- machines in, in a retail store, I would, don't think it'd be such a bad idea. Coffee in retail stores, you know, I, where I live in Sag Harbor, there's a, there's a place called Sylvester and I think 90% of their uh, traffic is coffee, but they're a home goods store. Tutto Giorno has an incredible retail concept that Donna Karen did. Uh, and it's beautifully curated into the store. And so I think that, um, you know, uh, any brand that can pull off lifestyle, even if it's as mundane as dry cleaning um, and, and, and weave that into their brand is going to nail it. Um, Kith with their ice cream. Um, I, another, another really interesting uh, concept from, a, from a big established brand is, is Nike by Melrose, Nike by the Upper East Side, Nike by this. Uh, you should, we actually see it all the time with our brands. If you take a hyper local merchandising plan and you curate it for the market uh we we've seen brands make a pivot based on the data that we're giving them and see 20 30 percent uh lift in sales and so the idea of nike by melrose curating it based on the online activity and what people are interested in and making sure that that's what's showing up in the store i think is totally brilliant and artists that you know paint the stores and the murals uh, speak to the local community totally brilliant um, and then they also, this is a nice retail tech innovation that I'd love to implement at our stores. They have a vending machine where you can get, you know, little free trinkets, socks or keychains or anything like that by scanning your mobile phone app. I bet 10% of customers are doing that because it's a no brainer. It's so fun. And then you can start to make little, I don't like to use the word attribution, but <laughs> you can start to attribute what's going on. Uh, it's brilliant. I think it's such smart retail. Um, I think it hits home and anybody that's, you know, weaving in service lifestyle and taking a hyper-local approach, um, psyched on. I think that is a very uplifting place to end this this conversation. Um, I think that uh, it, one of the reasons why I love doing what I do uh, at Traub is to meet people, companies, ways of doing things that are, um, yes, different, but they're not, they're not, it's not, with all due respect, it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. Right? Um, but someone's doing it and trying to um, move the envelope, uh, push the envelope, move the ball forward, whatever expression you want to say about it. It's just great. And um, Justin Abrams, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you, you on the safari. And um, we'll have you come back, I'm sure, in a few years to see see how many stores you're running in this country and around the world. Thanks, Morty. You're, you're a legend. And uh, it's a true pleasure to be here with you. If you want to learn a little bit more about Traub, you can go to traub.io, where you'll learn a lot about everything that we do. 
If you're enjoying the safari, please do share it with your friends and colleagues within the industry. And please also don't forget to subscribe and like it. Until next time.